Welcome to the Hoop Games Podcast, the basketball podcast talking basketball through stats and stories. This season on the Hoop Games Podcast, we are crowning the greatest of all time, as well as answering some of the biggest what-if questions throughout basketball history. Questions like, who are the top players ever? Who is the best player to have ever played? What if ringless player X won that championship? And what does LeBron need to do to top Jordan as the greatest of all time? Or has he already? How quickly and under what circumstances can a player break the top 25 all time? We are using both eye test takeaways because this podcast does believe there are some things in basketball that cannot be fully captured by the data and data analytics because even subjective opinions should at least be based in reality to crown the greatest of all time. How? Using what I call the game formula. GAME is an acronym that stands for Grading Using Advanced Metrics for Evaluation. The GAME formula is a data-driven ranking formula. It's 1. A composite ranking, 2. A relative ranking, and 3. A dynamic ranking. Throughout this season, I'll be unveiling the greatest of all time, from player 27 all the way to number 1, breaking down the stats and stories from the best basketball players dating back to the inception of professional basketball. But first, What is the game formula and how does it work? The game formula is a composite ranking in that it is made up of various components, like how an NBA 2K rating looks at a combo of shooting, defense, rebounding, jumping, and more to give a rating of up to 99. In the game formula, we are looking at player performance in the regular season, in the playoffs, during championship runs, how much help players had throughout their career, and more. It's composite because Robert Ory's seven rings judged alone would require one to think he's the seventh best player of all time. PER judged alone would lead you to think that Kobe Bryant was the 27th best basketball player ever. Longevity judged alone would lead you to believe Michael Jordan is somewhere around the eighth best player ever, as his longevity was impacted by taking almost two years off in his prime on his first retirement and three years off between Chicago and Washington on his second. None of these on their own feel right on their feel right, but all are an important component of ranking the best all time. Championships, impact on the floor, and longevity all matter in determining the GOAT. The GOAT doesn't need to rank the highest on all the metrics, but should it be at least in the conversation on a wide variety of them. And to be clear, these components are data-driven. Everyone is graded on the same scale. The game formula has one goal, crown the greatest of all time objectively assigning numerical values to key accomplishments, metrics, and important things we all consider in basketball rankings. We remove some of the subjective valuations and replace with objective facts. We can then answer, does a player need a ring to crack the top 10? How important are the incremental rings a player wins? How good was the player relative to his peers? How much actual help did a player have throughout his career? These are the questions the game formula was designed to answer. The game formula is a relative ranking because we are grading players against each other's contributions. It is relative in that each component maxes out at 100 points, and the number one player on each metric gets those full 100 points, with the number two player on each metric receiving points relative to that number one player. For example, Michael Jordan's career regular season PER is 27.9, the highest ever. So spoiler alert, he gets the full 100 points for that component of the model. LeBron James is second with a career regular season PER of 27.5, which is 98.6% of Jordan's, 
So he gets 98.6 points for that metric. In addition to being a composite and relative ranking, the game formula is also dynamic in that it can change with players achieving more over time. So as a player accomplishes more, he can move up the list. For example, if Giannis wins another MVP or gets his first ring, we can expect him to move up. By how much and to which spot, we can answer this. All of this to say, the model evolves with the game and over time. And because the model is dynamic and relative, a second place player, for example, can not only jump to first and take for himself the full 100 points, but he will also push everyone else down as he has raised the new all-time best bar for a metric. This means players can not only catch the all-time greats, but can become the new leader as well. But while all of these inputs are important and needed, the one I'm guessing you're most interested in is the final ranking. What players are in the top 25? the top 10, the top five, who's the GOAT? The game formula takes individual inputs and provides one number on a scale of zero to 100. A player would have to have the best career on all metrics to receive a 100 on the final game ranking. He'd have to have the best longevity, the best peak, the most individual championships earned, the lowest amount of teammate help, and so on and so forth. He would have to quite literally be the best and beat the best in every single area of the game. Think of the game ranking as the perfect player rating. And that brings us to probably the most interesting capability of the game formula. One we'll explore right after this short break. This episode is sponsored by Boxed Up, a rental equipment marketplace connecting renters and owners. Boxed Up makes it easy for you to start a new business, kick off a new hobby, or try out something new. No more renting stuff from people you don't know or driving across town to the big box rental house. Boxed Up has both highly curated kits or a la carte items for those in the know. This podcast is recorded using boxed up equipment, and I highly recommend their services, as it's made both the podcasting and video recording process much smoother. For rentals delivered to your door, go to www.tryboxedup.com. Welcome back to the Hoop Games Podcast, a podcast talking basketball through stats and stories, with this season focused on crowning the GOAT. Before the break, I mentioned the most interesting capability of the game formula. There's nothing new about the who's better, who's the all-time best argument that comes with being a basketball fan. And there have been other models and theories on how to answer this question. But a common conversation that I think might even be more interesting as a basketball fan is the what-if scenario. What if Barkley and Malone had won a championship? What could it have done for them on the all-time rankings in terms of moving up? What would it do for Chris Paul or James Harden? How much would Steph Curry winning the finals MVP, completing the storybook narrative in 2015, have affected his all-time ranking on the list. Along with crowning the greatest of all time and ranking each player from number 27 to number one, we'll be answering some of these lesser studied but frequently debated questions using the game model. The model can effectively do this for us by running what-if scenarios or simulations and tell us the exact impact they would have had for each player. We'll be deep diving into just how important winning a ring is, what's the value of being a finals MVP, How much does joining a super team incrementally help your legacy by winning multiple titles versus staying on one team and just winning one? All this and more to come on this season of the Hoop Games podcast. If you want to skip right to our first ranking, hop over to episode two, titled number 27. I won't give it away and tell you who we are talking about. Just make sure to check it out. But if you want to know more on who I am, where the game formula came from, and exactly what inputs we're using and why, Stay tuned for the rest of this introductory episode. 
So who am I and where did this formula come from? My name is Jonathan Welch. I will be your host. I am a lifelong basketball fan and let me get this out of the way up front. I am a huge Dallas Mavericks fan and will try to control for that bias where possible, except for the Dwayne Wade and Dirk Nowitzki episodes upcoming. I watch numerous NBA games a week and play throughout high school and college and have transitioned into retirement playing exclusively in intramural and work leagues these days. I've also taken and passed the NBA agent exam. Throughout this podcast, I will talk basketball through analysis and data. This project started out as a quarantined activity of ranking the best players with friends. More specifically, a Wade first Dirk conversation on two metrics, career regular season PER and pure number of championships. The argument was that Dwayne Wade was a better all-time player than Dirk because of these, but I felt that that, that did not tell the full story. At basically the same time during quarantine, I was watching The Last Dance, the Jordan documentary I'm sure you've all seen, and a particular comment after Jordan's first retirement was something to the effect of, Jordan was retiring after three straight championships as the greatest team athlete of all time, end quote. Now, you know that, that, that first three champion, those first three championships was his first three-peat. This stood out to me as a bit of a stretch, given some of the accomplishments of Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird over the course of their full careers, who had longer, longer longevity than Michael Jordan after his first retirement. This model can label these pro- proclamations as fact or fiction. A similar LeBron James comment always stood out to me as well, where he stated that the 2016 Finals win, the one where the Cavs came back from being down 3-1 to one against the Golden State Warriors and won in Game 7, after which LeBron donned the Ultimate Warrior t-shirt after the Cavs had landed back in Cleveland, an ultimate troll job, even if he claims it was unintentional. The comment that the 2016 championship, and I quote, made me the greatest player of all time. That's what I felt, end quote. This championship was LeBron's third, half of Michael Jordan's six, and still two behind Kobe Bryant's five. Did this, ch- tr- did this championship truly make him the GOAT? Again, we can answer this yes or no using the game model. As it is part of the sports and basketball experience to rank players and have conversation with friends in hypothetical scenarios, I wanted to build out a composite model that would be dynamic and relative to all other players and update as a player accomplishes a certain achievement. Winning MVP, being selected to the all-star team, winning a championship, and winning a finals MVP. I also wanted it to help avoid players being deemed an all-time great too early as young players will rank low on longevity and total metrics. I wanted to be able to conduct what-if scenarios. What if Barkley had won that championship? What if Jordan never retired? What if X, where would he rank? To remove the championships component, to see a player's career without this aspect and where players might have ranked in different situations. I wanted to determine the best regular season players, the best postseason players, etc. I also wanted to account for things traditionally undervalued in best of all time discussions, like teammate help, personal contributions to championships instead of pure number of championships, and more. It was after the last dance in the Dwayne Wade first Dirk conversation I mentioned above that I decided to combine passions of data and basketball to research and put numbers to who is the greatest basketball player of all time, the GOAT. This turned into something I've called the game formula model. It became a hobby to fill the time that used to be spent hanging out with friends in person and watching live sports, both of which were stopped for months during the pandemic. I am happy to say that this model can definitely answer some of these questions and provide these insights. So enough about me in the background, let's jump into the model 
and some of the strengths and weaknesses. While starting the research on this model, I looked at the NBA's 50 greatest players ever as voted on by legendary players, coaches, execs, and authors to get the historical perspective on what the eye test saw in these players. I believe this is important as there is limited data the further, further you go back in time. I looked at all the available stats, awards, metrics, and more. The first issue was that it's hard to compare basic statistics across generations. How does Wilt's 50 points per game and 26 rebounds per game season compare to Shaq's 30 and 14 38 years later? Basic statistics say Wilt's was way better. Advanced statistics say they are comparable. The rare 30 PER season. More on PER to come. Side note, things like blocks weren't recorded back then, so we can only estimate PER for Wilt Chamberlain. There are other instances of stats not being available, but Basketball Reference and other sources have done an incredible job to estimate this using statistical models, so it should be close enough for the purposes of our model. Things like different generations can impact a player's basic statistics, but so can things like team pace and league rules. The seven seconds or less Suns in the early 2000s Pistons, for example, how can we compare them on a similar basis since the Suns will have higher basic statistics than the 2000 Pistons due to pace? And how can we avoid unfairly punishing those players who, who were on those Detroit Pistons teams who played with slower pace? Rule changes, an example being the hand check rules, have also increased pace in recent decades. So players playing in the slower eras shouldn't be negatively punished and eras in teams playing different styles should be accounted for properly. An article by RealGM.com pointed out that in the 2020-2021 season, 43 players average over 20 points per game, compared to as recently as 2012 and 2013, where only 11 did that. Basic statistics would favor players who played in, recent game, in the recent years than years where the pace and scoring was not as high. Another example the Real GM article points out is that Kobe Bryant's MVP season in 2008 is very comparable on a basic statistic basis to Zach Levine's year this year. Kobe's MVP season was 28 points per game, six rebounds and five assists on 46-36-84 splits. Levine's 2020-2021 season is 27-5-5 on 51-41-85. This article was written prior to the Levine going down the last few days of, of the current season. But the, the point remains the same. Now, this is not a knock on Zach Levine, but few, if any, would put Levine into this year's MVP conversations. Looking at advanced statistics, Kobe P, Kobe's PER was 24.2 versus 21.6 for Levine, and Kobe's win shares per 48 was 0.21 compared to Zach Levine's 0.14. This shows that Kobe is more efficient than Levine relative to the rest of the league, even though their basic, basic statistics would make you think that they were quite comparable seasons. As a result of these issues, I chose to focus on advanced statistics, but the further we go back in time, the amount of advanced statistics that are available decreases. The two that persevere across almost all seasons in NBA history are PER and win shares, which we use for win shares per 48. PER is a, is a statistics created, statistic created by University of Virginia, Go Who's, alum John Hollinger. A bit of background for those who may not be familiar, PER is an attempt to show individual player contributions into one number and standardize across all players in a given year to allow for comparison of players on different teams, teams playing different styles, players playing different roles, etc. 
it adds up all the positive contributions, think shots made, assists, rebounds, etc., and subtracts all the negatives, missed shots, turnovers, and more. League average for PER is about 15 every year and allows for comparisons across seasons and generations. A per-minute and pace-adjusted stat fits our needs for this model perfectly. How good were players when they played? Now, there is a limitation of PER seen in the case of great one-on-one defenders like Bruce Bowen, Meta World Peace, Tony Allen, etc., who did things that may not show up in the stat sheet but still significantly impact the game. Another limitation is that someone who plays 15 minutes a game can have a 30 PER, while a player who plays 30 minutes a game can have that same 30 PER, but yet show as the same impact. Now, because there's no reason for a player that has 15 minutes a game to have the same stat, we had actually adjust for this in our model. More on this to come below. Despite these limitations, it is a great stat for the purposes of this model, and, has, and PER has accurately picked 17 of the last 32 MVPs, including, five, including the last five and eight of the last nine. The second advanced statistic that we use is win shares per 48 minutes. Win shares are statistics aimed at divvying up team success to individuals on the team. This was originally created by Bill James in baseball, but modified by basketball reference. Win shares calculate offensive win shares by taking the marginal points a player adds and calculates defensive win shares by calculating defensive points saved by a player to allocate wins per each player on the team. The game model takes win shares per 48 minutes to eliminate noise of more minutes played over, over the course of the season, starter versus role player, injuries, load management, length of season in terms of number of games, we don't want to compare a full season of total win shares for an 82-game season versus a COVID-impacted season or lockout-impacted lockout season, for example. The nice thing about win shares per 48 is it accounts for better defenders slightly better than PER does. Draymond Green, for example, who recently caused ways labeling himself the best defensive player ever, his relative scores are higher on the win share per 48 metric than PER in all of his years, except for the 2019-2020 season where the Warriors were devastated by injuries. Bill Russell, his win share per 48 score was higher in 10 of his 13 seasons and equal to PER in the other three. Never lower, which is a combi- as win shares per 48 is a combination of defense and impact on winning. In Bruce Bowen's 13 seasons, he had 12 seasons where win shares per 48 was scored relatively higher than PER relative to his peers across the league. And the one season where he didn't, he w- they were both tied at zero in his rookie season as he only played one minute in one game. In Tony Allen's 14 seasons, he had eight seasons where his PER and win share per 48 score were tied. He had five seasons where the win share per 48 was higher than PER and only one season where PER's score was greater than win shares per 48. So win shares per 48 does pick up on better defenders slightly better than PER does. Having said that, win shares has accurately picked 17 of the last 32 MVPs, including the last five and eight of the last nine, just as PER has done. So both of these, PER and win shares per 48, does a good job of categorizing the game. I should note that I chose to weigh win shares per 48 slightly more than PER since I do not include Defensive Player of the Year or all defensive teams in this model. I've weighed win shares per 48 at 55%, 
and PER at 45%. One other thing to note is that things that are not pure advanced statistics are included in the model, namely accolades like all-star games, all-NBA team selections, MVPs, finals MVPs, etc., to give a flavor of something that writers, coaches, fans saw that maybe the stats did not pick up, the eye test, so to speak. This model takes into account a player's accolades and performance on the floor and adds it up to be able to cut through the noise of career points, all-star appearances, different all-NBA teams, MVPs, titles, etc., into a di- into a digestible number and to be able to easily see the impact of any one of these things on a player's all-time ranking and legacy. Now let's get to the metrics used in the game formula. The first metric of the model is what I call player performance points, or PPP, which gives each player a grade for their regular season or playoffs using PER and win share per 48 performance. We are interested in adjusting for mix, pace, minutes, where possible, to account for minutes and and games played. We want to give value to those who performed well in more games, playing more minutes, punishing players with small sample sizes and things like injuries and load management. To grade PPP, we take the average PER and score the average PER performance a 5 out of 10. As players move away from the average on the good side or standard deviations from the mean, they get more points. As they move away from the average on the bad side, they get less points. A perfect 10 for a PER score requires a 31.53 PER, or three standard deviations away from the mean. This has only been achieved by four players. It's been done by Wilt Chamberlain three times, Michael Jordan twice, LeBron James twice, and Giannis. We then do the same thing for win share per 48. A perfect 10 in win share per 48, or three standard deviations from the mean, has only been accomplished by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Those values are then adjusted depending on how many games and how many minutes per game each player played. No points are are deducted for players who played in 85% of their games or more and played over 30 minutes per game. Players will get decreasing points for players moving down both games played and minutes per game metrics. This ensures players who played great, let's say scoring an 8 on both metrics, for one half of their team's games does not get the same score as someone who scored an 8 on both metrics over 82 games. This essentially gives the highest scores to players who played in most of the games in sufficient minutes and penalizes injury and load management, since we are ultimately judging the performance of the player on the court. This standardizes the performance and teammate help players have had in their years and over the course of their career. We then combine the two scores, taking the PER component and weighing it at 45% and the win share per 48 component and weighing at 55% for purposes mentioned earlier. Player performance points, or PVP, ultimately takes complex PER and win share per 48 calculations and distills them into numbers on a number score on a scale of 0 to 10, like a dunk contest but with more scoring options, a 9, a 9.25, 9.5, etc. As mentioned earlier, if you are skeptical of PER or WinShare Per 48's ability to accurately categorize the game, know that PER and WinShare Per 48 have predicted 17 of the last 32 MVPs dating back to 1990. The PPP scoring in this model has smoothed the edges of both and, retroactively applied, has predicted 18 of the last 32. No stat is perfect, but comparing some of the newer age advanced metrics 
For reference, BPM predicted 17 of the last 32, and VORP predicted 15. So while there may be other stats or better stats to understand the best players, the system works well enough to not overthink it. The top 12 regular season performances according to the game model, 2020 Giannis, 2016 Curry, 2009 and 2013 LeBron, 1988, 1991, and 1996 Michael Jordan, 1971 through 1973 Kareem, and 1962 and 1964 Wilt. These 12 performances accounted for MVPs in nine of those 12 seasons. The three that did not win MVP were Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in 1973, he scored a 9.275 and did not win. And Wilt Chamberlain accounted for the other two. In 1962, he scored a 9.45 and did not win. And in 1964, he scored a 9.725 and did not win. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar lost to Dave Cohens in 1973, who had a 6.275 the lowest graded season of all MVPs in NBA or ABA history. Wilt Chamberlain lost to Bill Russell in 1962, who had a 7.05 score, while Wilt had a 9.45. Having said that, the Celtics did finish 10 games better than Wilt's team, and then Wilt lost again to Oscar Robertson, with it, who had an 8.775 score when Wilt had a 9.725. Players who have scored a 9 or better and not win an MVP include Wilt Chamberlain, who's done that three times, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's done it once, Michael Jordan, who's done it three times, David Robinson, who's done it twice, CP3, who's done it twice, and Kevin Durant, who's done it once. Fun note, the highest score ever for PPP is 9.775. Players have had a perfect, perfect 10 on both PER and Winship for 48, but never in the same year meaning the perfect theoretical season has not yet been accomplished. The elusive perfect season. To see how this totals at the team level, the leaders in regular season team player performance points, the Duncan Error Spurs, who have eight of the top 25. This may speak to talent, but also coaching and a good system, maybe chemistry, etc., which are good things to pick up on in the model. The best team rankings, according to the model, 2020 Bucks, 2010 Magic, 2008 Celtics and Pistons, 2007 Mavericks, 2002 Lakers who had Shaq and Kobe, two Jordan-era Bulls teams, Stockton and Malone Jazz, Showtime Lakers, and Kareem Bucks. All these teams were healthy and strong regular season teams, so the model appears to be doing what we want it to do. The second metric is regular season gold. This metric totals a player's accolades over his career by adding up all-star appearances, all-NBA teams with increasing points for second, uh, all-NBA second team and all-NBA first team over the third-place team, and MVPs. Players are awarded one-half point for all-star since it's essentially half the season. They're awarded one point for third team since it's basically all-star level for the whole year, 1.25 points for all-NBA second team, 1.5 points for all-NBA first team, and three points for MVP. Now these are cumulative. So a player who was an all-star, all-NBA team, all-NBA first team, and MVP would get five points. Half a point for all-star, 1.5 points for all-NBA first team, and three points for MVP. There are things I should highlight here. For years that had a canceled all-star game, for example, 1999 with the lockout, the all-NBA teams 
were given half a point to replicate All-Stars to avoid players in that year being unfairly punished for not having an All-Star game. This was also done for years pre-1951 before the inception of the All-Star game. There are also instances where players get an All-Star nod due to fan voting. The most famous examples are probably Yao Ming and Kobe Bryant, who played in less than 10 games each, but were awarded an All-Star appearance in those years. Or players were rewarded for outstanding careers, like Dirk Nowitzki and Dwayne Wade were in 2019. But these things even out, and an extra All-Star game or two does not impact the rankings in a meaningful way. Sustained greatness and winning MVPs and being selected to All-NBA teams matter over the long term. All-NBA teams were expanded from two teams to three teams in 1989 as the league was growing with more teams and more players. The relative percentage of players getting awards was not heavily impacted. There are also historical unique quirks where MVPs were on the second team. This happened with Bill Russell when the league did it by position and not the best X number of players. The argument here is that if you're the GOAT, this will even out in the end. Defensive teams and defensive player of the year was not awarded in this model. This may be a missing aspect, but it could be accounted for in all NBA teams and all-stars. Just something to note. A counter-argument to this was NBA Twitter on NBA Twitter recently, where a general opinion was that, quote, all NBA defensive teams, NBA all defensive teams were vibes-based legacy awards until like five years ago, end quote, meaning the best defenders weren't necessarily always selected, or average to good defenders got the selection based on name or reputation rather than actual impact, which means that maybe they aren't worthy of including, something we will discuss over the course of this season. The third metric is regular season peak. This is calculated as a player's PPP plus regular season gold over their best six regular seasons. Six seasons is long enough to account for traditionally accepted great players and eliminate really bright, short peak stars from being overrated in the all-time discussion. It is also not too long to overly discount players who played longer ago when longer careers maybe weren't necessarily as common or players who sustained an injury that prevented them from having even more peak years. The fourth metric is regular season PPP per year, which is the average of PPP, so total career PPP, over the course of the number of seasons a player played. This shows consistency and durability, being great day in and day out since it accounts for the number of games played over the course of multiple seasons is what you want from your star players. This punishes excessive load management or excessive injury history. So we have total player performance points, which gets, which gets at longevity. We have regular season peak to account for a player at his peak. And we have PPP per year to account for consistency and durability. The fifth metric we use is career PER. Pretty simple metric here and already described above. PR is an incredibly useful stat, even if it cannot tell the full story, but a quick glance at career PERs, and you'll see a list pretty consistent with the best players of all time, and has done a good job of predicting MVPs. The sixth metric is career win share per 48, basically the same comment as PER. The seventh metric is star teammate help. The star teammate help is the amount of regular season gold that your teammates accumulated. This only accounts for points while a player had a star player teammate. Does not account for the, the teammate's performance in the years before or after becoming the teammate of a certain player. Use an example. If Kobe and Pau, Pau Gasol were teammates for two years and Kobe Bryant won MVP in the first year, Pau would show as five points 
for this year in terms of teammate help. If Kobe were to hypothetically miss the whole next season, Gasol would show zero for Kobe's star help. This judges player for what they actually ac- judges players for what they actually accomplished in each year, not reputation. To avoid assuming players had star help when players are past their prime or hurt. Recent team leaders and star teammate help are the 73 win 2016 Golden State Warriors, who had three All Stars, three All NBA selections, and the MVP. And then the other team is the 2005 62 win Phoenix Suns, who had the same thing: three All Stars, three All NBA selections in the MVP. The eighth metric is total teammate help. Total teammate help is team player performance points minus each individual player's player performance points. So this is the amount of player performance points that your teammates accumulated. This is different than star teammate help. This gets into depth in the setup of a team around a star player. Harden error rockets with a shooting that surrounded him would be a potential example. Or synergies like coaching, or team system where guys can maybe overachieve in certain situations. The value of the Pop, Popovich, and Tim Duncan era Spurs franchise is seen, as mentioned earlier, who scored 33% of the top 25 team performances across the regular season. While star teammates are critically important, a team can be great with outstanding role players surrounding their best players. All of those regular season metrics were recreated for the playoffs with a few minor exceptions. Playoff peak is defined as the top four years instead of six like the regular season due to natural differences in teammate help, conferences, luck, which drove more variation in what teams make the playoffs. So we've, we've limited the playoff peak to four years. There is no playoff gold since there aren't playoff awards, but playoff peak does account for player, player performance and then adding additional point, an additional point for each round the player advances since it is harder to put up a all-time performance over three series than just one. Finals MVP also gets an additional three points, similar to how regular season MVP gets three points. Lastly, there's a teammate help degradation. The more help you had in the playoffs, the smaller percentage of bonus points for advancing, since you advanced with your teammates' help. Playoff teammate help only accounts for total player performance points plus finals MVPs, since there are not postseason awards as mentioned above. A few things we should note. Finals MVP was not awarded earlier than 1969. So as a result, finals MVPs for years before it was awarded is based on research done with a book called Who's Better, Who's Best, and analyticsgame.com. The last few metrics revolve around ice, like ice in your veins or individual championships earned. This metric allocates a team's one championship amongst its players based on their total player performance points and finals MVP divided by total team player performance points. So ice is similar to ring shares or adjusted ring shares and playoff success shares for NBA Reddit users, but uses player performance points instead of total win shares. NBA math has a similar metric to allocated championships based on minutes played in those playoffs, but ice is based on performance in those minutes, not just minutes themselves. Kevin Pelton's championship added is, a, is another one. His takes into account regular season, which I decided not to do as we have sufficient regular season info. His championship added model also allocates championships to players who didn't actually win one. For example, Karl Malone has more championships added than Hakeem in his model, even though Malone never won a championship, and Hakeem won two as the main guy for those Houston Rocket teams. We only award ice to players who actually won a championship in the game formula. We built this to truly distinguish an individual's contribution to a title run. 
Shaq and Kobe won three championships together, but then people will argue in GOAT conversation that each Kobe and Shaq won those three titles. We need the portion that they themselves were actually responsible for when talking about rings. Additionally, numerous factors go into a championship run. Stars, role players, injuries, seating and matchups, officiating, career time period. Did you have the unfortunate luck to play during and against Jordan and Russell? Coaching and more. Ice gets at the Charles Barkley quote, did you drive the bus or were you a passenger on the way the, to, to, to the championship, on the way to getting rings? And this helps put rings into the context of teammate help. For example, if a player had a perfect 10 playoff run and then won finals MVP, they'd get the 10 points plus three finals MVP points, they'd get 13 points. If the total team player performance points was 39, they'd get 33, that player would get 33% of the championship for themselves or their individual championship earned would be 0.33 ice. One thing ice cannot account for is changing teams and joining favorable situations or creating a super team. Kevin Durant was fantastic in his two title runs with Golden State, yet he is not really punished in this model for jumping over to a team that was heavily favored during the championship. This is just something to note as we will try to answer how his career ranking would differ if he had won a, a championship in Oklahoma City in 2016 versus getting two in Golden State. Lastly, peak ice. This metric answers the question, what was the highest a player contributed to a championship? This metric is included to limit the impact of total ice. Someone like Robert Ori won seven championships, while Larry Bird won three. Ori's individual contributions account for 0.88 ice, only slightly better than Larry Bird's 0.71. Robert Ori was a solid contributor on those championships, but his impact maxed out at 14.7% of a championship, whereas Larry Bird's peaked at 27.6%, nearly double that of, Ro of Robert Ori's best effort. Ice reduces the discrepancy from Robert Ory's seven championships to Bird's three championships. Counting pure number of championship championships, Robert Ory has 2.3 times Bird's total, but his but on ice, Robert Ory scores only 1.2 times higher than Bird, a much more reasonable value between these two players. So this metric shows whether a player was able to win the title as the man or needed a better player to help, or the player went ring chasing, for example, later in his career going back to Barkley's driver first passenger comment. The weights in the game formula. As mentioned, there are 16 metrics broken into four, level, four levels of importance, 9%, 6%, 5%, or 4%. The most important metrics weigh regular season peak, regular season gold, playoff peak, and individual championship earned the highest. The, the best players should all have high peaks, lots of accolades, and have won a championship or more. The lowest metrics are the teammate help metrics, as they are important, but are not controlled by the players themselves in most cases. Teammate help allows players to operate without consistent double teams, creates floor spacing, and allows for unpredictability in late game situations, which can be the difference between winning a playoff series and not, winning a championship and not. The middle metrics are the peak ice, regular season PER and win share per 48, and finally, longevity and durability metrics. This works out to be a 50% emphasis on regular season and 50% emphasis on the playoffs. Breaking it down further, 18% is related to regular season and playoff peak. 15% is related to individual contributions to championships. 12% is re related to regular season and playoff consistency, dura consistency and durability. 
12% is related to career regular season and playoff win share for 48. 12% is related to regular season and postseason help. 11% is related to longevity for both regular season and playoffs. 11% to career regular season and playoff PER. And then 9% related to regular season accolades, which is tied for the highest individual component. But as mentioned, it has no postseason counterpart. So, so that brings us to the final game score. Think of the game formula as the perfect player rating for all-time best career. With that, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this season. Be sure to check out the Hoop Games on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, and let us know your thoughts and rankings. Special thanks to Boxed Up and key contributors Kelly, Smedley, Cirillo, Schuber, and Boone. <laughs>